Well, we've already established that I could talk to today's guest for hours about everything from Tennessee to Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> but I'm going to ask him to introduce himself to everyone here today. Well, hello, everybody. Yes, Alexandra's right. We could talk. We, we had to stop ourselves and hit the record button so that we could actually provide some content. But no, I'm, I'm Dr. David Marco, and uh, I've been heavily involved in anything data. So feel free to, to look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I have been uh, uh, the top speaker in data governance. Uh, I wrote the two top selling books in metadata management in, and data literacy is a big area for me and probably a whole bunch of other stuff, but I don't want to bore people with that. Let's, let's get to some content, right? Exactly. And we are going to talk about data literacy today in a way that I really hope is very approachable, understandable for everyone, because this is such a critical topic. And I yep. think it's a term that gets thrown around a lot, but maybe we're not always clear what we mean about data literacy. So can we start there? What do we mean by data literacy? Absolutely. When we're talking about data literacy, we are talking about the ability to create, manage, read, work with, analyze data, and ensure and maximize the data's accuracy, trust, and value to the organization. So I know that sounds a little bit like pie in the sky and utopia, but it's really problematic today. Every organization wants to be data-driven. From a small mom and pop, like $100 million company to a $50 billion organization, they all wanna be data-driven. And if your data literacy levels are low and substandard, as, as they say on The Sopranos, forget about it. It ain't gonna happen. We can provide, I, I've been building uh, data warehouses and analytical engines for a long time. And I could tell you, if people don't understand the data, if they don't get its true meaning, if they don't know how to work with it, analyze it, and manage it, you're not going to have good results. You never will. And, and I'll give you a great story in this. Many years ago, Mayo Clinic wanted to build an analytical engine that would, that would be used to treat patients with cancer. And, they, and they're dead serious. So in their RFP request for proposal, for those who don't know, they said, hey, build us a data warehouse. We, so we did what you're not supposed to do. We said, you're not ready for one. We, we don't have a global understanding of our data. We don't have defined terms. We need good data governance. We need good metadata management. We need to up our data literacy. And if we have that, then we can build an analytical engine where we can put somebody's life on the line because it's not... Dollars is one thing, health is a different thing. And so that's why data literacy is so important. And really, so what is at the heart of data literacy is saying that the people have to be ready and comfortable with data before you try to invest really much more into any kind of system, any kind of infrastructure, any kind of fancy AI, like anything you do with that, you have to make sure your people are ready for it first. Absolutely. The dirty secret of analytics, its number one purpose when you build a report is to influence and impact behavior. If you are making business decisions for your company and you're going to make it regardless of what the data says, then why do I need to build you a report? You're not using it anyway. I want, we want to influence people to say, hey, sales are up. You need to increase production. Sales are down. Maybe we need to slow back, take down a second line. What, whatever the case may be, we need people using that data. I'll give you an example. 
Uh, there's a company I've worked with. Uh, I don't want to give their name because this is not a nice story. Their chief merchandising officer, in the first five minutes of our discussion, he looks at me and he goes, you know what? I don't care about what our data says. I look on Twitter and see what Kim Kardashian is tweeting. And that's how I make my decisions about our merchandise. Here's your little rub. Last six years, revenues, downward slope. Profits, profit margin per sale, downward slope. What was he? So he's the chief merchandising officer. He should be all about the data, but he's not. For him, it's irrelevant. I, I can build the most gorgeous analytic and it won't matter because he's not, he's going to look at what Kim Kardashian says and makes, make a decision for a, a, a fairly large accessory company uh, based on that. I mean, that's not the way you win. And it shows in their margin. Your definition of, of data literacy was great, but it's also very broad, right? It covers a lot yep. of spaces for it. And I think sometimes people will hear the beginning of it, right? Being able to, to work with data and create analytics and they go, oh, well, it's not for me, right? Your chief merchandising officer. I don't create analytics, therefore I don't need to be data literate. But then the second half of data literacy is about being comfortable with data, about trusting data, about being able to interpret and read from data, which then means that this lands in everybody's lap. You just might not own the whole swath of data literacy, but there's going to be a piece of data literacy that, that fits with you. Yes. Um, so I'm curious, you know, how do you help answer those people who say, oh, well, I'm not a numbers person, so therefore I don't have to be data literate. Well, you've asked a phenomenal question. So I'm going to try to break down my answer for you a little bit. So if people were to look at my data literacy level, I'm going to score pretty well. There are six categories we use. I'm going to score pretty well. Heck, I've built a college course on the topic. So I'm probably going to be okay. Now, for me and what I do, I need to score well. But does everybody in the company have the same date, what we call data use level? And the answer is no. If you are a janitor, your, your job's very important, but you probably don't need to know much about data literacy. It's okay. So we, we call somebody like that a data minimalist. That's their data use level. Their, their data literacy level could be remedial, which all, at remedial, all we want you to be able to do, add, subtract, multiply, and divide that, that, that's the only requirement because we, we probably all need to do that. Um, so the janitor doesn't need to have that high level. Now, if you're the chief merchandising officer where you're making global decisions for your company, guess what? He needs to be a heck of a lot more literate than what he is today. If he wants to be a numbers person or not, do you want to move merchandise? If you don't, then you need to get out of the C-suite. I mean, that's his job. I mean, we need to understand what designs are working, what isn't. Um, data security. Look, can I give you one? It's on that company again. You'll, you'll find this hysterical. They're like, yeah, you know, security is important. Like they make these gorgeous designs for women. And they're talking about different security measures and blah, blah, blah. If you look at their creative room where all the new designs come from, the entire wall is a window. And you can see a big apartment complex a half a mile away. I'm like, wow, if I were a competitor, you can have some jerk up there with a telescope and see every single new design they're coming in if you're a major competitor. It's like, hey, that's a, that's called a security risk. <laughs> so just even things like that, we, we need to understand them with data. Do you know every adult in the last 40 years 
who has passed away has at some point in their life eaten a carrot. You know what? That's perfect correlation, one-to-one. Therefore, carrots cause death. That basic correlation does not always equal causation. Now, I gave a very fun, easy-to-see example, but we do this stuff all the time. We think, hey, you know, we had a lot more sales this month. We, we're doing something right. That's going to continue. Now, the problem is it's November or December and Christmas buying season. Maybe, maybe somebody tweeted out about your product line this, this week, somebody significant, and you had this little bump. But you know what? Those bumps go away. So understanding how to work with, grapple with it, question data till you get it right. These are all key components of literacy. And I'll get in, I know we have more questions. So I'll get into how you do it the right way and not the way everyone else is doing it. No, I, I love both of those ideas, you know, that there's there's management skills around data that leaders need to be aware of. So even if maybe they don't understand, you know, blockchain or whatever those fancy things are, they need to understand that data security is important and therefore empower the people who have the technical skills to do that appropriately. And they need to be aware of that happening and supporting that happen. And then the same on the other side, that even if they're not creating the correlations, they're not creating you know, the regressions and all of the actual technical work with the data, when it lands on their desk, they darn well be, better be able to look at that and say, what is this actually telling me? There's a great company called um, We All Count with Heather Krauss, and she talks about data equity. And she has a poster on her wall that says, don't tell me that data says, like what the data says. She says, data doesn't say bleep, we say, things, right? The data is just presenting information and we have to interpret it. And that interpretation, that translation requires skills. So let's talk about the skills that that requires. <laughs> you, and I love that poster because uh, I, I don't know Heather, but I love this concept. I'll, I'll give you a, a real world story. I'm interviewing the top accountant at a major bank, you know, and this is part of doing an assessment you interview the executives. I asked him, do you trust? Now, this is the top accountant. Do you trust the data in your analytical reports? I'm going to quote verbatim what he tells me. He goes, the data that we have is the best that we have. And if it's calculated the same way every time, it gives us a directionally correct view of the company. Uh, I was asked to keynote a data quality conference in London. I spent the entire 40 minutes breaking down this statement because he said so much. He said, the data that we, so I asked him, do you trust the data? Remember, this is the beginning question. Do you trust it? It kind of should be a yes, it should start with a yes or no, and then you elaborate. He said, the data that we have is the best that we have. So wait a minute, that's not a ringing endorsement. That's not a yes. It, well, it's the best, I because all the other sources are worse. That That's translated. Then he said, and if, it's calculated the same way every time. Let me translate this one for you. If meaning, I don't have any clue if it's translated, I don't know. But if all that is a yes, if somehow it is being, he goes, then it gives us a directionally correct view. That means those numbers aren't even close to accurate. And I'll tell you, the overwhelming majority of analytics within companies are wildly inaccurate. You'll, you'll pick one report, It'll tell you sales revenues are a billion dollars and you'll pick a second report and it'll tell you they're 800 million. That should not be possible. That goes to the general ledger. So 
the ability to question the data, to understand the data, to dig in. And, and because in your example with Heather, it's so true. I can tell you, hey, the revenue sales dollars for this quarter are a billion dollars. We think we know what that means, but did I include, did I subtract returned orders from that sales amount? Because a lot of sales come on contingency, so they can come right back. Did I include, so when we say domestic sales, do we, so I'll tell you, many manufacturing companies count Canada and Mexico as domestic, and they count Hawaii and Puerto Rico as international. Why? Because you got to get your product over there on a plane or most likely a boat. And, and that's all the story behind the story of the data. So that's long-winded answer to why it's so important. So how someone hopefully listening is convinced, right? They're all convinced that data literacy does matter regardless of your position, right? How much data literacy you have may be flexible, but some component of it is going to land in your lap. You know, are yep. from, from frontline workers all the way to, to executive leaders, you know, the executive directors, whoever, whoever it may be. So how do we do data literacy training appropriately across our organization? Fantastic question. I am roaring to go on this one. I have some hard things. So the way everyone else is doing data literacy is they're hiring some hopefully smart person to go in and teach a data literacy class. Totally the wrong way to do it. First off, if you have a company of 40,000 people, can you stop all those people for a four-hour class? The, the answer is no. If, if you record that class and then just say, hey, watch it when you feel like it, you're now treating everybody the same. So the janitor is the same as, as the chief data officer. No, we have a different... So like to me, if you work with data on a daily basis, one of our data literacy levels is literate. Now there are three levels above that, but you have to at least be literate. Um, so to me, what you have to do, so number one thing, automation. Build your course, build, so you will need multiple courses designed to take people from those lower levels like remedial and basic to take them to literate. And then additional courses that will take you from literate to like leader or expert. Expert, to tell you the truth, is not even needed at companies. Expert is somebody who has knowledge across multiple industries. They have been there, done this at multiple industries. So you don't even need that. So three things, data literacy level, data use role, and data literacy persona. What the heck is that? So here's what we want to do. We So at EWS Solutions, what we've done is we have a system where we can automatically assign you, based on how you answer questions, your data use level, meaning, hey, if you're the janitor, we're going to figure that out real fast. Eh, you need the most basic course, or we won't even recommend the course. Um, or all the way up to your CDO or an executive, and we, we can figure that out all in automated questions seven questions, we'll, 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 we'll have you targeted. Then we wanna get your data literacy level. So there we're gonna to have to ask you more questions to figure out, do you understand correlation does not equal causation? You never average averages, that's another big mistake. Data always has a bias, I'm, I'm just rattling a few off. But now what's data literacy persona? Hmm, you could be an expert but it doesn't mean you believe. So data literacy persona, 
This is your opinions on how valuable data is. Think of my chief merchandising officer. His data literacy persona would be a uh, data skeptic, our lowest one. I mean, I don't care if the janitor is a data literacy skeptic. We cannot have the chief merchandising, unacceptable. So you can also gauge it through the question. So you have to automatically assess, and, and we have a whole system that does this, automatically assess their data use role, their data literacy persona, and their level. Then, based on those answers, you assign training. That makes sense. If somebody's remedial, don't try to take them to expert. It's not going to happen. Just try to get them to the next step. And so you have canned training that does it. And then here's what you do. Here's the real secret. The secret sauce. You then do a reassessment. You then automatically reassess them to figure out where they're at so that you can see, oh, their persona, that moved up. Now they're not a skeptic anymore. You know, they're now, they're now uh, data-driven. Well, that, that's data-driven is the highest one. So that's, I don't know if we're going to get there in one jump. But that's how you do it, all automated, because that's something that you can roll out to an enterprise because they're doing the training at one point in the year. We, we tend to pick somebody's anniversary date or hire date. This way, you're not shutting the company down. It's virtual. It's on demand. So you don't have to have somebody expensive physically teaching it. Then somebody gets sick. Are you going to teach the whole course again? No. So that's how you do it the right way. I think something that a lot of organizations miss is this need for it to be continual, right? Yes. Okay, we'll just do it once. We'll set up our data governance once, or we'll set up our program. Once. Like, we'll just do all of this work once, and then we'll never touch it again. And everything with data is a cycle. It always comes yep. back and you repeat it. And I like to think of it as hopefully it's a spiral, right? You, you're returning, but you're raising it up each time. Uh, and so this idea of, okay, every time on their anniversary, they're going to take some training again. We're going to reassess them again. And we're going to not just make them take the same training they took last year. We're going to give them training that's appropriate because if their role has changed, like their company role or their data role has changed, then we'll want to reassess that. So that idea of coming back every year and saying, how are you, you know, is this working? Are we getting where we need? Have you changed? How do we need to modify where we're going? I think is so, so critical. And quantitative assessment, not just, hey, the instructor was funny and I enjoyed it, but did you really learn something? And, and, and there are some real do's and don'ts to how you do that, but that's more nitty gritty for an implementer. But I will tell you, you're dead on. We need that. And it needs to be ongoing because as human beings, if, if you look at how somebody learns, you know, in general, people think, oh, they just learn in a straight line. Like I learned 5% today, 5% tomorrow. That's not how we learn. We tend to just struggle, struggle, struggle. And then it's like a stare. Yep. And it's like, oh, I got it now. I get it. I think there's a concept in, in biology about um, punctuated equilibrium. Right, that you have these like maintained levels and then something strong enough happens that kind of shakes you to your next level. And then you'll kind of maintain again at that level. And then, so it's true for people and ecosystems. That is actually, that's how I learned. Yeah. Um, I, when I first read this, I go, Eureka, that's it. Because I did not understand that. I always thought, wait a minute, I just spent four hours studying something. I should be four hours smarter, but I wasn't. I was just as dumb as I was when I started. And then one day, it's like, I get it. I, I get it. It all comes together. 
So I think that one of the things that some of our listeners are going to struggle with a little bit, because they're going to hear what you're saying. They're going to say, yes, I can see how, you know, data literacy should be part of what everyone does, you know, and it's not just this one, one off thing, but you know, I'm a nonprofit. You're telling me to invest in these big courses. One, either I'm not a corporation, so therefore I don't need data literacy. That's one of the big ones I hear. Or two, I can't pay to train every single person in my organization, you know, my 50 volunteers, like I already am on the shoestring budget. So one, how do we help address the idea of, you know, is data really just for the commercial enterprise or is there a space for data literacy to be embedded in nonprofits? And if two, if it is, how do we help them achieve that when their budgets are so constrained? Absolutely. What a fantastic question. So I would like to, and I know this is remedial, I'm going to break nonprofits into two groups. There are some big old nonprofits, and I can name one now. They were our first data literacy client partner. Their budget was bigger than most corporations. So I'm, I'm going to omit that category, and let's go into a smaller organization. What could we do? Well, what are the things possible? I'll tell you, and this not... I do a free webinar every month for Data Management University. I'm about to kick off a data literacy series of webinars. Go to our YouTube channel. Just have a lunch and learn where everybody watches and learns. It's free. And you know what? How do you beat that? Because if you're a smaller company, it is going to be difficult for you. A smaller non-for-profit where, especially there's some good ones. There's a couple that I truly love that, that I personally uh, support and and my number one criteria is I want to see their I want to see how far the dollar goes uh, as I'm sure you know not not all are, are great at that but the ones who are exceptional those are ones I truly believe in and hey th- this would be the advice if they called me I'm thinking of of the the uh, couple that I support if they called me up this is what I would tell them to do hey we do these for free they're on YouTube follow it. And, and it doesn't have to be me. You can find somebody else who you think is a really good instructor, who has a good program and approach, and just make it part of a lunch and learn. Like, hey, bring in, uh, you know, I'm original. I'm from Chicago. In Chicago, we're all about the pizza. All about the pizza. Order some pizza, watch the, watch the video, learn something, have a little bit of an interactive discussion. It's for the price of pizza. You could do that. One of my previous guests talked about this idea of having like data with donuts Tuesday morning sessions yes. with the same idea of encouraging, like making engagement with data a social activity where it just becomes the fabric of how your groups interact with each other within your organization. So I love this idea of a lunch and learn, like find the free resources, the, that continual exposure and discussion and group involvement around that will do so much for your organization because now you're paying attention to it. It's elevated from an either an unconscious need or something that you're saying you don't need to saying this is something that matters. This is something we're going to attend to. And we don't have to necessarily invest more than the price of a pizza or donuts into this, but we're going to make it a conscious thing. And I love that you hit on as well. The reason for that is because investors, supporters, so much of the ecosystem in the nonprofit world does need to know things that really can only come from data. It used to be that nonprofits really thrived on this idea of good intentions and that that's why we were in it. We were in it because this was passion work for us. But now we have to be able to show efficacy in some capacity. And whether that's a qualitative efficacy or a quantitative efficacy, it still comes from numbers and data. You have to show that impact. Well, and you know this, if you, as a, as a non-for-profit, 
if you lose the efficacy war, you're probably done. I mean, and and, and probably deserve to be done, right? Like, the, the, you know, people are are, are trusting you. Uh, I, I feel like that with business and with federal agencies as well. I think any interaction that exists, there's a trust component. Uh, I like to joke that in my world of data, the, the, the topic that's least popular. If I want to assure I have the smallest audience, I'll do a talk on data ethics. No one's going to show up. It is going to be crickets in the room, um, even though I can give an infinite number of stories of especially where corporations have screwed up and compromised a lot of people. Um, and, and it's interesting, you brought up a point, I don't want to let go of it. You, you're bringing up socialization and communication of data literacy. And this is so big. So I'll give you another little trick of the trade for people who can do this. We never call anybody data illiterate. So when I walk through those data literacy levels, one of the first ones remedial, that's not shared with anybody outside the CDO office. We, we use numerical numbers and those are kept private. So it, to me, when I build a system, I never wanna insult the worker. I never wanna insult the employee. Because again, we don't know their background. Maybe nobody's told them this before. It's not intuitive. Um, and, and it's so important. Uh, a, a good friend, uh, one, of, one of my wife's very, very best friends is one of the executive directors of, again, one of the largest nonprofits. You, you would all know who they are. They're very well known. And we talk all the time about how important this stuff is, that data is the lifeblood of the non-for-profits. And, and, if, and if it's handled inappropriately, if we don't leverage it to its fullest extent, hey, it can cause us big expenses to manage and maintain poor systems. We can make some poor decisions that we wouldn't have made. It could also har harm us and limit us into doing the most good that we can for the dollar that somebody has trusted us with. So I, I'm with you. And that socialization and communication Critical, easy to screw up. That's why I did, you know, pizza lunches and the other person mentioned uh, morning, Tuesday morning do data and donuts. I love it. Absolutely. Even though I don't eat donuts, uh, I will eat a piece of fruit, but still I will be happy to provide donuts for all others who would want some. So uh, I love the idea because that's a big thing. We want to have a gentle hand. This can't be, hey, you're data illiterate. You, you never want that. It's, it's a group effort, not a top-down, like, you're wrong. It's we're learning. Absolutely. And, and I'll give you a little statistic. The executives are the worst at this. When you measure the literacy of an organization, the senior, I'm talking C-level folks, they score the lowest. That junior management tends to score the highest. And then the level below is, you know, somewhere in the middle of it. That Just to give you a little bit of the secrets behind it. Yes, yeah, so true. It is so true. So I would like to end, we will be sharing all of these resources that you mentioned, links to your, your webinars and to the YouTube channel. That will all be in the show notes. Yes, we can share all of that. Yes. So, oh, absolutely. Okay, of excellent. So I'll definitely recommend that everyone head over there, check those out, because I think this is something we can all agree to, that next week, let's invite everyone to a lunch and learn and pick, like you said, one of your webinars, one of somebody else's, find something that inspires you and go ahead and sit down and listen to it and have a, have a discussion about it afterward. 
That's right. And use, I will tell you, there are six types of data literate thinking. One of them is critical thinking. So apply, whether it's one of my videos or somebody else's, apply that critical thinking to it. Yeah. Challenge things. It's a great way to learn. It's a great way to embed the lesson. So have fun with it. That I, I know that's why I do them. I do the videos to help impart some level of knowledge. Um, I'm hoping even if you pick up one thing from this discussion, then, then I, I was successful in my job. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Marco. As with all of our discussions, I enjoyed it tremendously and I'm sure everyone listening will as well. So in addition to being able to find you on LinkedIn, is there anywhere else we should send people to connect with you? Oh goodness, LinkedIn is a great one. Also, uh, my company's website is, and we'll have all these in the show notes, ewsolutions.com. Um, this July, 25 years of business. Isn't that great? Isn't that cool? That's fabulous. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's a great blessing. And soon, uh, you and I in a couple of years will be neighbors in Tennessee. Can't wait. Can't wait. (laughs) Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Alexander. This has been so much fun. Uh, Please never hesitate to reach out. I will take you up on that. That was David Marco from EW Solutions. I think one of the things that stood out the most for me with this discussion was this idea of identifying what kinds of data literacy skills an individual needs based not just on his or her role in the organization, but also the specific level of interaction and dependency on data, as well as their cultural or mental approach to data. So we all need some aspects of data literacy, and then other aspects of data literacy are going to be specific to what you are going to be doing around data, how you are going to be interacting with it, uh, and how you approach data. And the fact that, like everything with data, this is never a one and done. It's always something we continue to come back to is so critical. I hope that you can find some of these free resources, whether from Dr. Marco or from anyone else out there, take him up on his challenge. Let's see if we can have some pizza and data days or whatever it is that gets you excited and ready to sit down, learn something, and then discuss it, share it, explore it, question it as always. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you and I hope that you stay well. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanus, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at moroccanos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.